Welcome back, my fellow creatives, to Story Cuppings. It's time we take a sip this Private Eye July from another mystery slash fantasy, uh, The Last Smile in Sunder City by Luke Arnold. I was put, uh, put to this book by S.J. Higby, another indie writer who is fantastic. I will connect her site to the description of this episode. And she reviewed it. She loved a lot of it, had a couple niggling points, which she often will always find at least one thing that can be done a little differently. Well, I shouldn't say she often finds it. There's usually always like one thing as another, as a fellow writer, we're like, eh. and she had a couple points about this one. And it'll be interesting to see if I can detect anything along what she was talking about in the first chapter here. Uh, otherwise, I'm excited to give this a go. I like seeing a modern fantasy that doesn't necessarily have to hold to the modern society around us in reality. I like when a fantasy setting has its own sense of what is modern and what is not modern. So we'll see how this plays out. I can tell you right now the book cover looks gorgeous. I love this map setup and the little names for all the little places is very intriguing. Like the sickle and we have house of ministers gilded cemetery and the crooked tooth <laughs> just lots of neat I'm, I'm i'm intrigued uh plus we can see the dedication the author put in uh for dad who gave me to tolkien chandler and many other kinds of magic which i think is cool it gives a sense of it's like oh so this guy loved tolkien and chandler that's the kind of mashup we're getting here. So it's intriguing. I, I, I want to see how this plays out. Chapter one. Do some good, she'd said. Well, I'd tried, hadn't I? Every case of my career had been tiresome and ultimately pointless. Like when Mrs. Havitt hired me to find her missing dog. Two weeks of work, three broken bones, then the old bat died before I could collect my pay, leaving a blind and incontinent poodle in my care for two months. Just long enough for me to fall in love with the damn mutt before he also kicked the big one. Rest in peace, Pompo. Then there was my short-lived stint as Aaron King's bodyguard. Paid in full, not a bruise on my body, but listening to that rich fop whine about his inheritance was four and a half days of agony. I'm still picking his complaints out of my ears with tweezers. After a string of similarly useless jobs, I was in my office, half asleep, three quarters drunk, and all out of coffee. That was almost enough. The coffee. Just enough to reason to stop the just enough reason to stop the whole stupid game for good. I stood up from my desk and opened the door. Not the first door. The first door out of my office is the one with the little glass window that reads Fetch Phillips, Man for Hire, and leads through the waiting room into the hall. No. I open the second door. Okay, I gotta pause here. We definitely have the hard-boiled tone. The hard-boiled detective tone. We, we definitely have the grit. We have the black and white noir. 
we, we might as well just get the fedora and the cigarette smoke and the snub cigarettes and the last mug of old coffee. That's why it's all wrecked. Duh. We, we've got it. And the short, maybe truncated would be the word, sentence structure here definitely helps push that image, that style, that um, atmosphere into our imaginations. But I do wonder if it's got to be like this the whole time. Because already after reading a page, it's like, ah, that, 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 and, and I, I want to be able to just be able to keep going. And again, that's, that could just be my personal preference. I obviously can ramble and talk for a long time. And so for me, a sentence can go on. It's all right if it winds about a little bit. Why shouldn't it just have a little bit of a meandering before it finally ends? But this is a first person narrative. So we are getting a sense that this character, this is a very direct to the point character. They are not one to go into detail. So I get that this voice is helped sharing what the character is like. It's giving a sense of the genre. <sighs> but reading it out loud, I don't know if it's for me. I'm gonna keep sipping though. We, we got a few more pages yet before the chapter ends. So we'll, we'll keep trying. No, I open the second door. The one that leads to nothing but a patch of empty air five floors over Main Street. This door had been used by the previous owner, but I'd never stopped, uh, stepped out of it myself. Not yet, anyway. The autumn wind slapped my cheeks as I dangled my toes off the edge and looked down at Sunder City. Six years since it, had, since it all fell apart. Six years of stumbling around, hoping I would trip over some way to make up for all those stupid mistakes. Why did she ever think I could make a damn bit of difference? Ring! The candlestick phone rattled its bells like a beggar asking for change. I watched, wondering whether it would be more trouble to answer it or eat it. Ring, ring. Hello? Am I speaking to Mr. Phillips? You are. This is Principal Simon Burbage of Ridrock Academy. Would you be free to drop by this afternoon? I believe I am in need of your assistance. I knew the address, but he spelled it out anyway. Our meeting would be after school once the kids had gone home, but he wanted me to arrive a little earlier. If possible, come over at half past two. There is a presentation you might be interested in. I agreed to the earlier time and the line went dead. The wind slapped my face again. This time I allowed the cold air into my lungs and it pushed out the night. My eyelids scraped open. My blood began to thaw. I rubbed a hand across my face, and it was rough and dry, like a sat slab of salted meat. A client. A case. One that might actually mean something. I grabbed my wallet, lighter, brass knuckles, and knife, and I kicked the second door closed. So this is just a little scene break before he goes over to the school. And... I notice in this first portion of this chapter, we don't yet know it's a fantasy. We're not being told it's a fantasy. We, we are definitely getting the grit of the noir, of the mystery, 
but we don't yet know about the fantasy. And a school being a client or a principal being a client, that's not out of the realm of a noir mystery. Um, I mean, heaven knows Poirot visited at least one school in home, Sherlock Holmes met a school. I mean, I don't remember if Marlowe visited a school or not, but still schools can be a very common or a very common setting for mysteries because it's a single location with a lot of different personalities, a lot of different motives, a lot of different agendas, all packed into one place. This follows. I get it. Now, as far as the whole, we aren't clear about the fantasy yet. No, we don't have that sense. I mean, this door that leads out into nothing, just the air, this door had been used by the previous owner. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean the previous owner used that door to throw himself out to his demise? Or does it mean something else? Because this is meant to be a fan. This is a fantasy. Does that mean something else? I don't know. The fact that Fetch Phillips is wandering around without shoes on. What's that mean? I don't know. Because his toes are off the edge. I don't know. Uh, that he wants to maybe eat his phone. But none of these details are very overt. And they could still be dismissed as being very reality. Being very much a reality-based item. You know, that this door just wasn't built for anything. Or that he would be bare feet in his own office. Or that who of us hasn't threaten to do something with our phones except answer it you know answer it or chuck it or bake it or flush it down the loo or eat it or whatever so nothing is still very clear about this being a fantasy setting let's see if the next scene of the first chapter because the first chapter here is made of two scenes the one we just read and the next one let's see if the next one makes it clear um what is so fantastical about this fantasy mystery there was a gap in the clouds after a week of rain and the streets for a change looked clean. I was hoping I did too. It was my first job offer in over a fortnight and I needed to make it stick. I wore a patched gray suit, white shirt, black tie, my best pair of boots. Okay, he's got footwear. <laughs> and the navy fur-lined coat that was practically a part of me. Rich Rock Academy was made up of three single-story blocks of concrete behind a wire fence. Oh, sounds great for a school. The largest building was decorated with a painfully colorful mural of smiling faces, sunbeams, and stars. And also, that, that tracks. <laughs> a security guard waited with a pot of coffee and a paper-thin smile. She had eyes that were ready to roll in the unashamed love of a little bit of power. When she asked for my name, I gave it. Fetch Phillips, here to see the principal. I traded my ID for an unimpressed grunt. Assembly hall, straight up the path, red doors to the left. It wasn't my school, and I'd never been there before, but the grounds were smeared with a thick coat of nostalgia. The unforgettable aroma of grass stains, snotty sleeves, fear, confusion, and weak old peanut butter sandwiches. That also tracks. That mix of smells has not gone away <laughs> from any school anywhere. The red doors were streaked with the accidental graffiti of wayward finger paint. I pulled the moment open, took a moment to adjust to the darkness, and slipped inside as quietly as I could. The huge gymnasium doubled as an auditorium. Chairs were stacked neatly on one side, sports equipment spread out on the other. 
In the middle, a warm light from a projector cut through the darkness and highlighted a smooth white screen. Particles of dust swirled above a hundred hushed kids who whispered to each other from their seats on the floor. I slid up to the back, leaned against the wall, and waited for whatever was to come. So this is all, again, very reality, quote-unquote, normal to us as readers. I'm still not seeing the fantasy thing. Okay, well, let's keep going. A girl squealed, some boys laughed. Then a mousy man with white hair and large spectacles moved into the light. Settle down, please. The presentation is about to begin. I recognized his voice from the phone call. But whether or not my voice is the same from reading it a couple pages ago, I don't know. <laughs> so I apologize in advance. Well, in retrospect. Now you know what I mean. Okay. Yes, Mr. Burbage! The children sang out in unison. The principal approached the projector and the spotlight cut hard lines into his face. Students stirred with excitement as he unboxed a reel of film and loaded it onto the sprocket. The speakers crackled and an over-articulated voice rang out. The Opus is proud to present. I choked on my breath mid-inhalation. The Opus were my old employers, and we didn't part company on the friendliest of terms. If this is what Burbage wanted me to see, then he must have known some of my story. I didn't like that at all. My body and me, growing up after the coda. Now, right here, any adult reader of this book is going to go, oh my heavens, they have to watch the film. Because when puberty hits and, and boys and girls get split and watching films about changing and puberty and all that jazz. Yeah. So right there, you can tell Luke Arnold is <laughs> <he's> having fun. <laughs> Playing with something we all know very well from the school setting. But there's also this growing up after the coda. Now here, that's a definite break from the normal, from us. What's the coda? What's that? And now we are curious. Now we are getting a sense of this is not our normal. So an announcer starts up. Hello, everyone. We're here to talk about your body. Now, don't get uncomfortable. Your body is something truly special, and it's important that you know why. And it continues a little bit like that. And it, it again, so like those films that we'd have to see at a certain age at school about coming of age, blah, blah, blah. But it goes from... You might have something on your body that your friends don't have. Or maybe they have something you don't. These differences can be confusing if you don't understand where they come from. And there's little cartoon characters on the screen. And they play along with the voiceover, shrugging in confusion as question marks appeared above their heads. Then they started to transform. Maybe your friend has pointy teeth. The girl character opened her mouth to reveal sharp fangs. Maybe you have stumps on the back of your back, on the top of your back. The animated boy turned around to present two lumps emerging from his shoulder blades. You could be covered in beautiful brown fur or have more eyes than your classmates. Do you have shiny skin, great long legs, maybe even a tail? 
Whatever you are, whoever you are, you are special. And you are like this for a reason. And the film continues to basically be an exposition dump. Now, I, on the one hand, I get it. This is an understandable method. We have, the detective is coming to the school. He's going to talk to the principal. What better way to establish the fantasy setting of this school and its city than by having a film where the students are learning about the, the situation, about the history. It tracks. This is a pretty common method writers will use um, and storytellers in general will use. They'll, they have, find an opportunity for the protagonist to learn about, I'm sorry, they'll find an opportunity for the reader to learn about the world through the through other characters somehow so it doesn't just end up being a big dialogue dump treating the protagonist or main character like they don't know their own world's history and it's very clear here that fetch phillips does know his own history in his world um so it's the film talks about how there were magical creatures everywhere but one species was not connected to the magic of the planet the humans they were envious of the power they saw around them so they tried to change things a familiar pain stabbed the left side of my chest so i reached into my jacket for my medicine clay fields are a mass-produced version of a painkiller that people in these parts have used for centuries Essentially, they're pieces of bark from a ricus tree trimmed to the size of a toothpick. <laughs> so now he's going to have a toothpick in his mouth. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's just like a detective. Okay. But basically, the film then shows how humans use technology to attack the source of magic in the land. And it wrecked the source of magic. And that's why, even though there are creatures that everyone is born, maybe that looks like magic, they no longer have it dragons died and werewolves couldn't control themselves and elves aged dramatically and just magic left the world that's what the film says that's what the coda is because of the human army and the film ends remember you may not be magic but you are still special and the chapter itself ends with an elven child looking at Fetch Phillips, saying that, you know, this child looks into, looks at Fetch, says, he wore no real expression. He just looked right into my soul, and I swear he knew. What did he know? He knew something. And that's, it's an interesting way to end the chapter, because clearly our narrator our protagonist fetch phillips he's got a tie to what happened with the human army and the creatures of magic in that coda he knows something he was a part of something then and what was it we don't know and yeah it is intriguing it's engaging and it's very curious and i and i'm curious to find out more and i'd like to understand too what makes this world work 
because here we have this magical realm that, as far as we know, has no more magic. So what are all these creatures left to do? And it's a really interesting premise. Um, and I, I am intrigued to read more. I, I still kind of wish that we didn't have to learn about the state of the world and that kind of info dump, but to Luke Arnold's credit, the info dump runs about a page and a half. Not super, it's not super long. And we are getting bits and pieces of Fetch Phillips reactions to the way the film is, you know, sugarcoating what happened because it's, this is a information meant for children. So I can, I appreciate that, but I still, it makes me a little antsy having that kind of just, and this is what everything is. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that approach. So we will see. I'm going to give it another couple of chapters. If I go further than that, it would all depend on how the story unfolds in those next couple of chapters, because I do love me a mystery. Not going to deny that. And maybe you would enjoy this mystery as well, this Private Eye July. And I've gone over my time, concern it, and I probably should go see what my children are wreaking havoc on, because what inspires them to do the things they do will always be a mystery. So anyway, until next week, my fellow creatives, Read on, share on, and write on, my friends. Take care.